Well, I know you'll be praying for these uh, graduates, and there's an insert in your bulletin this morning to help you do that. I hope you'll keep this with your Bible when you have your quiet time in the weeks to come as they start this new chapter in their life. They and their families are in a special uh, Sunday school class this morning, and they'll be back for the next service, so pray for them while they're having that Bible study as well. For the last couple of weeks, I've been asking you to pray for Miriam Ibrahim, the uh, Christian in Sudan who is in prison, convicted of apostasy because of her Christian faith. The Islamic judge uh, convicted her and sentenced her to be executed by hanging and also be uh, beaten to, to, to receive lashes for committing adultery. And uh, she, she did not, but in their eyes, because she had relations with her Christian husband, that's adultery. And so they're going to give her lashes for that. And we've been praying for her, and many around the world have, and Share with you that her 20-month-old son is also in prison. She's due to give her baby, give birth, and she had her, she had her baby. She had a little girl this past Tuesday, and they had not allowed the husband in at all. But Thursday, this week, the husband was allowed in to see her and the baby. And you see a, a picture of them. Well, the slides went away. Um, well, he got to see and hold his uh, little baby girl this past uh, this past Thursday, and. Late yesterday, there was a report that the government is saying they're going to release her. We don't know if that's going to happen or not, but be praying for her. And I bring that back up again for two reasons. One, to encourage us to continue praying for her and for her family and for other Christians in Sudan and other places where they suffer persecution. But also just to remind us that there are many believers, many followers of Jesus Christ around this world today living in very dire circumstances where it's not easy to be a follower of Christ. You really do pay a price when you are committed to Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I have a hard time imagining what it would be like to live in a place like she lives. Because when she stood before that Islamic court, the judge said, you're free if you'll just recant your faith. If you deny Jesus and convert to Islam, you can go. But if you don't, we're going to hang you. And we're going to give your children to Islamic families to raise. I can't imagine living in that kind of environment. Can you? We, we don't face that kind of persecution. Peter, whom we've been studying for the past few weeks, probably is most famous in the eyes of a lot of people for, for doing something negative, for giving in to the pressure, giving in to the fear. Peter is famous for denying Jesus how many times? Three. I mean, it was just spontaneous. You, you knew how many times he denied Jesus. He's famous for that. Now, remember, when Peter denied Jesus, Jesus was on trial for his life. Everything was going against the disciples. It looked as though Jesus was going to be crucified, and in just a few hours, he was. And so Peter is still attached to Jesus. He cares about him, and he's warming himself outside the trial, so there's interest still there. He's not wanting to abandon Christ. But when he's confronted in that setting with owning up to who he is, owning up to being a follower of Jesus Christ, the fear of what might happen to him because of what was happening to Jesus defeated him. And in that moment, he caved. This woman in Sudan 
did not. Peter did. There are more followers of Jesus Christ in Sudan who have caved to the fear than have stood firm in their faith. Now I wonder what we would do. I wonder what I would do. I wonder what you would do. Peter also not only was famous for denying Jesus, but Peter is also a man who moved beyond that moment in his life. Peter did not allow that one bad moment to define who he was or his future. He moved past it. And Peter became a follower of Jesus who was strong in faith. Not perfect, but a follower of Jesus who was not so easily intimidated. A follower of Christ who suffered for the cause of the gospel. Now, he didn't start out that way. We know that. He wanted to be strong, but he wasn't. Eventually, however, he was strong. And I think you and I can learn some valuable lessons from Peter's journey, how he moved from being someone that was easily intimidated to being someone who was not so easily intimidated, someone who could face and overcome intimidation when it came to his relationship with Jesus Christ. I want us to look at how that happened in his life, some lessons that can help us be stronger in our faith because you and I are probably never going to face death because we're a follower of Jesus Christ. But we do face intimidation. And all over this room are men and women, teenagers, who've given in to the intimidation we face. It's not fear of death, but it's intimidation, and we give in to it. The, the, the intimidation to be quiet and not talk about Jesus. The fear of witnessing. The intimidation to compromise our values and convictions and beliefs. To compromise our behavior. The, the intimidation to fit in with the crowd, to go along with those at work or those at the party or wherever. The, the, the intimidation to give in and think like others think, think like the culture thinks, talk like the culture talks. The intimidation not to be so serious when it comes to this Jesus thing. It's okay to be a Christian, okay to go to church, but don't go overboard with it. Don't be too serious about it. And what really burdens my heart is even though we live in a free country without fear of real persecution, we give in to these kind of intimidations. And I think we have real cause to wonder what we would do, what we would do if we face something like she faced. If we can't stand up to the intimidation we do face in our culture which is for alas. But you see, there's something in the human psyche, the human nature that wants to fit in, that wants to be accepted, that wants to belong. And Satan has a way of finding our weak spot, and so he'll bring into our lives whatever intimidation will cause us to compromise who we are so we can fit in, so we can get along, so we won't stand out, because we don't like as human beings, to be different. 
What I want us to do is you open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 4 is real quickly look at three stories in the life of Peter. Now remember, and we talked about it some in previous weeks, he denied Jesus three times. We're going to look at three stories after the resurrection of Jesus. After Peter repented and received forgiveness and was restored in his relationship with Christ. Three stories in the book of Acts of Peter being intimidated, facing intimidation, and how he dealt with it. And ask God to teach us some lessons so we can deal with intimidation in our own lives. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Let's just read the first three verses and then we'll talk about the story. Acts 4, verse 1, he says, As they were speaking to the people, this is Peter and the apostles, Peter and John, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, the, the, the priest and the Sadducees, two different religious groups in, in Israel, the temple guard, religious soldiers, if you will, came up to them, being greatly disturbed. That's a nice way of saying they were angry because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them. That means they grabbed hold of them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. And so here in the book of Acts, for the first time, we see the followers of Jesus Christ being intimidated, facing opposition, persecution, if you will. And they're arrested and put in jail because they are preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. The next day in verse 5, the trial begins. And I want you to notice who's at the trial in verse 6. It says, Annas the high priest was there, Caiaphas, who was the high priest before him, John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. So in other words, in the room, when these disciples, including Peter, are on trial for preaching Jesus, are the highest ranking officials in all of Judaism. Not just one or two of them, all of them. It's a who's who of the Jewish faith are there leading the trial. They're the ones running it. So it's not some lower-down officials, okay? It's the highest of the high that have them on trial at this moment in time. And in verse 7, we're told that they put Peter in the middle. And so he is standing there in the middle, surrounded by all of these people who are angry with him for preaching Jesus. And they begin questioning him about the power, about the source of what had happened. And what they're referring to is chapter 3 in the temple when they had healed a man who was over 40 years old that had been unable to walk since birth. And they had, through the power of Jesus, healed him. And he got up and he walked. And so they were, they were, that, that made them popular. It made the message they were preaching popular. And these leaders didn't like that. And so they began asking them a whole bunch of questions. But look at Peter in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now one of the keys to dealing with intimidation, and we'll talk about it in a moment, is the power of God. It's the, it's the fullness of the Spirit of God. He began speaking. And what's interesting to me is that in the power of the Spirit, when he began speaking, he did not back down. In verse 10, he said, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead... By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. They didn't back down. 
They, they didn't pull away from the name of Jesus. They didn't pull back from the truth of Jesus when being questioned by a hostile crowd. He goes on in verse 12 to say there's salvation in no one else, only Jesus, nor the name under heaven. So he's not preaching to the choir. He's not in church. He's in front of a hostile crowd and says Jesus is the only way. Verse 13, notice what happened because of this. As they observed the confidence of Peter, they, they, they knew by his demeanor and by his response that he wasn't being intimidated. Just, just being there in that, in that hostile crowd was not enough to make him back down. It was going to take a little bit more than that. They saw his confidence. And they also understood that Peter and the others were uneducated, untrained men. In other words, Caiaphas and Annas and these religious leaders of Judaism had been trained in Jewish schools. They were educated. Peter was a fisherman who had been discipled by Jesus. And they began to realize he's been with Christ. Jesus rubbed off on this guy. And because in verse 14 the man that had been healed was there and they couldn't deny that a miracle had taken place, they sent Peter and John out of the room and they conferred together in verse 15. What's our strategy for dealing with this? How are we going to stop these Christians? How are we going to stop Peter and John from talking about Jesus? We've got to shut this down before it grows any bigger. And in verse 16, they decided, here's what we'll do. We, we can't deny the miracle. So in, in verse 17, so that it doesn't spread any further among the people, let us warn them. Let us, let, us, let us harshly, sternly warn them to speak no longer in his name. Now, you have to get the sense of this. It's not like somebody just saying, hey, I wish you wouldn't talk about Jesus. This is, th- these are the, the leaders of the country. These are the most influential people in their culture. This is the head of what had been their faith, their religion, Judaism, their whole life before they started following Jesus. And it's these individuals threatening them, warning them, don't talk about it anymore because if you do, the consequences will be worse next time. Notice Peter's response in verse 19. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking both what we have seen and heard. Then verse 21, they threatened them even more and then let them go because they didn't have any choice. But notice that they were all glorifying God at the end of verse 21. And in verse 23, when they had, when they had re- been released, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them, John and Peter go to the other Christians and say, let me tell you what happened today. Verse 24, and when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Oh, Lord. they began worshiping and praising God. They began praying. And then in verse 29, in their prayer, they said, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may be safe. Is that what it says? Are y'all following? Is that what they prayed? Lord, that, it, that we'll be safe? Is that what they prayed? That's what we would probably pray. What did they pray? Lord, that we may speak your word with all confidence. God, don't let us back down. Verse 31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with what? Boldness. 
I'd say Peter had a transformation in his life, wouldn't you? And this is in a matter of just a couple of months. In two months' time, he moved from one who was so intimidated he would three times deny Jesus in the presence of Jesus because one of the Gospels tells us after he denied him the third time, Jesus looked at him and their eyes met. So when he denied Jesus, cursed and said, I don't know the man, he did it in front of Jesus. And now two months later, in this setting, he's a different man. Well, look at chapter 5, second story, beginning at verse 17. Chapter 5, verse 17 says, The high priest rose up along with all of his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. What were they jealous of? In verses 14 and following, the church was growing by leaps and bounds. People were believing their message. They kept preaching, and people kept believing and getting saved and kept bringing sick people to them. And in verse 16, people were continuing to be healed, and the church was becoming more popular. The gospel was becoming more popular. Jesus was becoming the, the Lord of more and more people. And the religious leaders of Judaism, it says, were filled with jealousy. And so they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. So here they are, they're arrested, thrown in jail again, okay, second time. And during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. And and, uh, he told them to, to go and speak to the people in the temple. The whole message of this life. So here they are. They've just been thrown in jail a second time for talking about Jesus. And in the middle of the night, an angel comes and sets them free. And says to them, go out to the temple, the most public place in Jerusalem, and talk about Jesus. And we want you to tell them everything you know about them, the full message. Give them the whole, I mean, it's not a 35-minute sermon. Give them everything you got. And so in verse 21, that's exactly what they did. Well, the next day, once they discovered they had been let out of prison, verse 26, the captain of the guard went along with the the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence. And then in verse 27, they're standing in front of the council, that Jewish court, one more time, and the high priest, Annas, he's questioning them. And he says in verse 28, now you remember the last time you were here, guys, we gave you very strict orders not to continue teaching in his name, and yet you have disobeyed us. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Verse 29, Peter, the apostle, answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, what was the attitude of those who were putting them on trial, those who had them arrested, those who were questioning them? What was their attitude? Look at verse 33 at the end of the verse. They intended to do what? They were so angry, they were on the verge of having Peter and the other apostles executed at this very moment in time. Now, I point that out because I want you to get in your mind the intensity of this situation. Because we've read these stories so many times if we've been in church a long time that we, we just read over it and we don't really capture this is a This is a situation sort of like Miriam Ibrahim in Sudan. We're going to kill. They were angry. They were ready to execute them. But what turned the tide was one Pharisee named Gamaliel who was very respected as a teacher of the law in verse 34. 
And he went over some of their history, and he said to them in verses 38 and 39, Guys, listen, leave them alone. Because if this is not of God, it'll die. If it is of God, we can't stop it. And we don't want to find ourselves fighting against God. And he was so persuasive that the court decided, well, we won't kill them. Verse 40, they took their advice. And not only did they order them again to no longer speak in the name of Jesus, it says they flogged him. Three little words in the middle of verse 40, they flogged them. Now don't run over that because the intimidation is escalating. They're not going to kill him. You, you remember before Jesus was crucified what happened to him? He was beaten within an inch of his life. It's called flogging. When they strip the clothes from your back and they beat you with whips and, and, and on the end of those whips are pieces of glass and metal and stone and things that cut and people often died from those. These disciples weren't just thrown in jail. They weren't just threatened. They were beaten. Do you have that picture? They were beaten. They were flogged. They were beaten. And then said then told, don't, don't, don't keep talking to them because if you do, it's going to get even worse. It's going to get even worse. You think this beating's bad? There's more coming if you keep this up. And they let them go. But look at, look at verse 41. They went on their way from the presence of the council doing what? Yeah. They didn't throw a pity party. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Let me ask you, what happened to Jesus? He died a humiliating death. On Easter we talked about how we take the cross and make it clean and pretty. But the cross is ugly and bloody and and it's death. Hebrews tells us that Jesus despised the shame of the cross and all that he experienced for us. They understood that. And so if they had to endure shame for Jesus, they were doing less even with that than he had done for them. That that having a relationship with Jesus, following Jesus, knowing Jesus was more important than comfort and ease and safety? That'll get us thinking. And then in verse 42, every day, notice that, every day, not some days, every day in the temple and house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Again, would you say Peter had a transformation? Well, time passes, and now it's no longer just the Jewish religious leaders who are, who are intimidating them. The Romans get into the act. Go over to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. And now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. Herod, at this moment, was at his most powerful He had authority to do almost anything he wanted direct from the Roman emperor. 
And so he decides he's going to arrest some Christians and he's going to mistreat them, abuse them. And in verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, James the disciple. Remember James and John, one of the twelve? He had James put to death with a sword. That means they executed him by beheading. Do you see the escalation of the persecution, the intimidation of Christians now? And when he saw in verse 3 that it pleased the Jews because he wanted to keep the population happy, that keeps peace, there won't be a rebellion, so he won't get in trouble with the emperor because that's part of his job is keeping the masses under control. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, in verse 3, he proceeded to arrest Peter. Now, he had just had James beheaded. What do you think his intention was for Peter? And in verse 4, after he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Four, a squad was four soldiers, so he had 16 soldiers guarding Peter. That's, that tells you how prominent Peter was. Peter was the man of the Jerusalem church, if you will. He was the guy. Sixteen Roman soldiers guarding him on orders of one of the five or six most powerful men on the planet at this moment in history. Did you find that intimidating? Verse 5, there's a contrast. So Peter was kept in prison. It was during the Jewish Passover feast, so they were going to, he was smart enough to know that you don't execute anybody during, the, during, during the, that, that feast. You wait till it's over. And so the state is using its power to keep Peter locked up in prison with 16 soldiers guarding him until that holiday is over, and then they'll execute him. But what was the church doing? They were praying for him. With, and they, they were doing it fervently and in the Greek the word prayer for him was being made is in the continuous action it means they were continually ongoing continuous prayer for Peter and doing it fervently with passion see when you look at it from the outside all the power was with the state was with the Romans the only weapon the church had was prayer And they used it enthusiastically, passionately. And God, on the very night that Herod was planning the next day to bring Peter out in front of the crowd and mock him and probably have him executed, Peter was sleeping with two soldiers on either side. He was chained to those two soldiers, and the other soldiers guarded the, guarded the door to the prison. And in verse 7, God sends an angel. And he, I like this, he kind of kicks Peter in the side and wakes him up. And the chains fall off and the doors open and, and, and he tells Peter, put all your clothes on, put your shoes on, your sandals, and they walk out. And once he gets him out to a street, the angel vanishes. At first, Peter thought he was dreaming, having a vision. But once he's out in the streets of Jerusalem, he realizes, this is real. I'm here. This happened. And 
Peter, in verse 12, went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was named Mark, probably where Jesus had the Last Supper, where many were gathered together and were praying. So he goes to the, to the meeting place. He, get, he, he goes to this house church. He goes to where they were together as believers praying for him. And by the way, in verse 19, Herod had the soldiers that allowed Peter to, to escape executed. Does that tell you how angry he was and give some insight into what he was planning to do with Peter? And uh, we know this from history that he died shortly thereafter and Acts tells us about it. Herod uh, went to another city and, and the Bible says an angel of the Lord struck him and he died. Verse 24, the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Now, three stories. Three stories. Say Peter's different after an encounter with the resurrected Jesus than he was before. All right, I want you to jot down these five words. Okay, five words. And to make it easy, I did something I don't normally do. I alliterated. They all start with P. Five words that will help you understand what you can do, what I can do to be stronger in our faith so that we don't so easily give in to intimidation. Prayer. Did you notice how prayer was part of this? When you read the book of Acts, did you notice how prayer was part of it? Do you take advantage of opportunities to learn how to pray? Because some of you are intimidated to, to pray because you don't know how. You're uncomfortable. When we as a church offer you opportunities to learn how to pray, do you take advantage of those so you can learn how? When we have prayer gatherings, do you, do you join us? Do, do you have daily prayer? And I'm not talking about when you eat your dinner. Prayer. Because prayer is intimacy with God. It's spending, it's hanging out with Jesus, if you will. And it unleashes His power in our lives. Number two, praise. They left glorifying God. They, they, they praise God that they have been worthy to suffer for Jesus. They, 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 they worshiped. They got together and they praised God. They worshiped Him over and over and over in the temple and house to house. See, words reflect attitude. And so we need to ask ourselves, are, are, are my words mostly negative or positive? Are they, are, they, are they words of doubt or faith, words of fear or trust? Because words reflect something. It's also true that how we talk influences how we feel. And if you never talk about Jesus, you never praise Jesus, you never worship Jesus, you never glorify Jesus, you never use your tongue to do it, then you're not going to be as strong as you could be. And, and if you can't praise Jesus with God's people, with your family, with your brothers and sisters, what makes you think you're going to be strong and speak for Jesus in this world that's trying to intimidate you? If you can't do it here, why do you think you'll do it out there? Prayer. Praise. Number three, power. Power. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The boldness came from the presence of God in their life, the fullness of the Spirit of God. I, I could preach a whole sermon on how to be filled with the Spirit, but folks, when there's sin in your life, you need to confess it and repent of it. You need to submit and surrender every part of your life to God. When He brings something to your attention, you need to surrender it to Him. And when He says to you, do something, you need to obey Him because every moment you stop obeying God, you disobey Him, you become weaker. That's why you have to repent of it and start obeying. Proclaim. That's the fourth word, proclaim. I need about another 30 minutes for this sermon. Proclaim. Did you notice that they just kept talking about Jesus? Did you notice that? Now, why does that matter? Well, it's not just because they were witnessing that. That's an important part of it. Here's the thing. When you talk about Jesus, it's easier to talk about him the next time and the next time. But when you are silent and you keep quiet about Jesus, you're more inclined to be quiet the next time and be quiet the next time, and be quiet the next time. Because in either direction, talking or not talking, proclaiming or not proclaiming, builds on itself. And whatever you do gets easier. Why do we know that? Because that's how habits are formed. Right? You do something one time, it's easier to do it a second time. And then it's easier to do it a third time. And then it's easier to do it a fourth time. And then it's easier to do it a fifth time. Next thing you know, you've got a habit, a pattern, a lifestyle. Talking about Jesus leads to talking about Jesus. Being intimidated into silence and not talking about Jesus leads to never talking about Jesus. So proclaim. And then the last one is people. People. Did you notice how much they were together? Peter got released by the angel, and what did he do? He went to where they were praying for him. They were together. They went and told all the disciples what had happened. They were together. Listen, Lone Ranger Christianity is a formula for spiritual disaster. You may think you're super spiritual, but you're not. Because this is your family, your brothers, your sisters. We have one father, and he says, hang out with your family. It makes a difference in your spiritual boldness. you're not in Sunday school, come an hour early next week or an hour later and go to Sunday school. Classes at 8 o'clock and classes at 10.30. Take your pick. If you make it to Sunday school once a month, make it three times a month. And by the way, folks, this is another reason I told you so many times when you're on vacation, go to church somewhere because habits are easy to develop, good or bad. You can lay out on the beach after church on Sunday, okay? That's just a word of wisdom. So go to Sunday school. Get involved. Hang out with people. Allow them out of time. And let's be honest. Each of us in here, myself included, there have been moments when we've been intimidated and given in to it, Right? Is there anyone in here who's never given in to intimidation in some level in your spiritual life? I mean, I've given in at times, haven't you? Anybody never given in? You've always, always, every, it's a reality for us, right? 
Well, one of the things I like about Peter's story is it tells us God forgives and restores and we can move forward. But to continue year after year after year after year being more like the Peter who denied Jesus than the Peter who wasn't so easily intimidated is a problem. And if your faith today is not stronger than it was five years ago, why not? Because that's not okay. You know that. You know that. So are you willing to do something about it? Are you willing to, to learn how to pray and then pray? Are you willing to hang out with God's people? Are, are you willing to begin worshiping more consistently and praising him? Are you willing to start talking about him and not being ashamed to use his name? I want you to do something right now in unison on the count of three. On the count, when I say three, I want everybody in the room to say out loud, Jesus. Just say his name, okay? One, two, three. Do it again. One, two, three. Jesus. Another time. One, two, three. Jesus. Now, for some of you, it may have been a while since you said his name. Because we go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and don't say his name unless it's in a song we're singing. Right? And if we can't say his name here, we're not going to say it out there. You ready to say his name again? One, two, three. Jesus. So what's that song? Sweetest name on earth? Is it? Then say it. Then say it. Okay? God loves you. God will forgive you. God will empower you. But you have to want it. You got to want it. Some of you need to start taking your walk with Jesus more seriously. And maybe a turning point for your life right now could be you start taking it more seriously. Or maybe you take one of these five P's and you make an intentional effort to do that one because you've not been doing it consistently.